Hey, you guys, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at thefeed.com, your source for food for athletes. Jesus, trust me, this shit is important, you guys. I've learned that after 20 years of racing, finally. <laughs> yeah, you'd think I'd learn, but it takes me a while. I'm a little slow. Use the link at Pack Filler. Spend 49 bucks and get a free Camelback bottle and a free shipping offer. Not bad there. Explore what foods work for you before you find yourself bonking or even worse, vomiting food your body rejects mid-race. I'm sure some of you have been there. The feed can help you with that. Sample everything out, see what you think, find the ones that work for you, and make it work. Once again, The Feed, Food for Athletes, sponsor of this episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. Let's do it. I think I'm going to sigh a lot this episode. <sighs> Hi, you guys. Welcome to the podcast that wishes the tour to Trump never happened. I'm Pat Bolger. How you guys doing? You holding up? theme out here. We don't need the theme anymore. I know. I know. This isn't really a political podcast, and I'm not going to turn it into one of those. And as uh, specific TV commentators would say, I'm pretty sure you're all done and dusted, as they say with the talk, depression, rage, and desperation that have occurred over the past week. All I can say, you guys, is get your rides in now before the bullets start flying, before the air gets thicker than a park in Beijing, and the polka dot jersey in the tour is replaced with a camo version. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm happy with all the stuff that's going on right now. I just hope common sense makes a comeback really soon. There. I'm off my soapbox. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a whole long intro. And I'm I can hear you cheering wherever you are right now. Because I know you guys like me to get straight to the guests and today's guests. I think the stars have aligned, you guys. I'm not sure sure whether I should be thankful or sad that today's guest fits perfectly in terms of timing. I started talking with Amanda Batty several months ago about being on the show, and, and with any guest, scheduling was, of course, initially tough. She's busy being a fast rider, credible downhiller, outspoken voice for women, and an overall tough and witty personality. And, you know, I was busy getting slower, fatter, and fucking cynical. But so it finally happened. She had time, I had time. Pretty much one week before the presidential election that, as we now know, shoved women's issues basically into the proverbial kitchen. This interview's, I'm not going to lie, you guys, it's unlike just about anything we've had on this podcast. I'm not sure if it's actually about bike riding, per se. 
or if it's more of a metaphor for things that are changing in the country. And I'm sorry I'm starting on such a down note, but I've just, I've been down. And I, will, I guess I'll let you decide how this all went. I think it went great. It was, it was a great conversation, and it, it had some optimism in, them, in it. And now we're, we're going to see where we go from there. So I'm going to let you guys decide. My interview with Amanda Batty on the Pack Filler Podcast. All right, you guys, today's guest is going to be a fun interview. If you've read, seen, or experienced downhill mountain bike racing in any way, there's a pretty good chance you've come across this person's results, thoughts, or stories. From arguably, arguably what I would say the worst crash ever captured on film, which still ended in victory, to podiums and accolades all over the country, her style is definitely unmatched. Oh, yeah, by the way, and she's not afraid to let you know when you're completely full of shit. So let's welcome to the show Amanda Batty. How are you, Amanda? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks, Pat. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that introduction. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I, I start on a high note, and then it all goes to crap from there. Well, you, you know what? I'm 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 unimpressive, so I like your style. Okay, okay. Hey, first of all, I gotta say that if uh, listeners don't al- already follow you on Twitter, they probably should be. Um, just flat out there, it's it's the perfect blend of of snark, attitude, and and profanity. It's just it's poetry. So I just wanted to say that too, just to kiss up a little bit. <laughs> I don't know about poetry. Uh, it's something. It's fun. Twitter- Twitter is where all of my unfiltered shit goes to die. <laughs> well, it's 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 fun for the you know for those of us who are out there who, who aren't living the the cool life, I guess you know. And God, I sound like I'm kissing up, but um, you know, so it's it's fun anyway. So here we go. Your your work as a writer uh, seems to be almost as big as your work as a cyclist. Um, and I kind of wanted to kind of touch on that before we get into into your cycling career and things like that and and how you came to to this the the writing aspect of what you do um i mean the writing or the yeah, writing the the writing <laughs> w-r-i-t-i-n-g okay. you know because it, it's it seemed to be a big point you've got a, a great voice in a lot of what that comes about and and i just is this something that naturally came about or was it something that you studied or you planned on doing or did somebody just say hey you know you should write for us and go for it um it was pretty much hey you should write for us and just go for it really I'd never really so so I, i've always been a big reader um, and I started just, I've always written stuff, um, whether it's random, I mean, I still make lists myself because I'm ADHD as all get out and I, you know, but for, you know, from everything from like lists to stories when I was a kid to, you know, essays in high school and then, um, you know, in college and, you know, I took a few writing classes. I wasn't okay. really very good. I don't, I'm not very patient. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's been, it's been a really interesting um, adventure at this point i'm just kind of like i'm that cat um gif you know like the one where they're just like slamming the paws on the keyboard at th- that point like <laughs> this is what my writing has come down to i'm actually my goal for 2017 is to refine my writing style and um use more verbs and less curse words so that's my challenge to myself <laughs> so we'll see how it goes i don't know how it's gonna go so well, it's it's you know, and it's become a voice, and you know whether you like it or not, you've you know, and, and we're going to get into this as we go. Um, it you you've developed that very specific style, which um, 
I guess, you know, to lack of a better word is, is all its own. And it, I don't know. It's, I I was just curious about where it, where it came from it. And obviously it just kind of comes from you and where you are at the specific point in time. It's not any, like you had a journalism background or anything. Oh no, 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 no. Um, I mean, I, I have, you know, a, a communications background, Okay. but I, you know, I've always been really interested in in the written word and stories and how and how they're told. Um, my dad is a really excellent storyteller and he can I mean he can spin tales to where people will sit there enthralled in their seats for so long. And that's you know, growing up in a family I you know, where I was the middle child, it was I watched him, you know, and my mom was a big reader and they always had books in the house. Um, and then my God, I must have been maybe thirteen or fourteen when I just started writing and I was writing stories, you know, on our like rinky dink word processor. And then, you know, in, in high school, I was putting them on a blog. I was just kind of like sending them out there into the ether. I, 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 yeah. I really don't, I don't know. I feel like not many people read what I write. And so this, this blissful ignorance kind of gives me the freedom to write whatever the fuck I want, which is really <laughs> nice. But yeah. And so I just started putting it out there, you know, and then started writing for pink bike and, um, you know, I've written some, some fun stories and it's always, you know, there's always a creative outlet somewhere, I think. Yeah. And words are, words are kind of magical. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's where it came from. Okay. If it came from anywhere. <laughs> you, you mentioned your dad and you mentioned, um, and from what my research has done, that was, you know, he was the one who kind of got you know, that classic vision of, of, uh, of a Hallmark card of the, the child, the parent teaching the child to ride the bike and things like that. And obviously that was, I guess, in theory, your start in cycling, but what, what brought you to the point of getting to, I guess, the point of downhill and, and doing something this over the top? Um, mostly because I've, I've always been, I mean, I've always liked bikes. I was never, excuse me. I was never a, I was never a cyclist. I still don't see myself as a cyclist. I still don't see myself as like a, there are some days where I'm not even a mountain biker, um, <laughs> where I just, I'm just, I'm just like a dork who I really like going fast and I really like pushing limits. Um, you know, I snowboarded for a while, picked up skiing a few years ago. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it was really interesting to me. Um, and it was truly terrifying, you know, yeah. uh, I've, I've always been fairly athletic, but there's something about downhill that my God, it can fuck you up so fast. Yeah. And, but that's, it's so unforgiving, but there are these saves, you know, where you're like riding along and you're, you're at this level of, of, I guess, I guess the word for it is performance, but it, this flow you're, you know, you're in your flow state and even when you fuck up there, it's like, there are some seriously good crashes that like, that force the air from your lungs and this oh, ridiculous God. sort of laughter because you're so <laughs> surprised you didn't just like knock your teeth out. Like the fact that I still have teeth shocks me, shocks me. And that's, I think that's what led to, you know, I, I mountain biked in high school. I had, you know, a full suspension bike in high school. Um, but it wasn't really anything that I'd ever had my eyes on. And then, you know, and I actually owned a, you know, a giant rain for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I hated pedaling. I wasn't really a mountain biker. I wasn't, people are like, oh, you have a mountain bike. Oh, that's rad. Like you, you know, you must be really good. And I'm like, no, I suck. Like it's fucking terrible. It's like, you have to pedal. You have to like, and you get all sweaty and you're like breathing hard. It's terrible. 
And people would look at me the most ridiculous ways. And then I tried downhill and I was like, oh my God, now we're talking. Like you ride the lift up, you ride the bike down and you do it over again. Like this is good. This is my sport. Really? You know, and then you have beers in the parking lot. <laughs> and and it was just, you know, the first day, um, the first day that I ever downhilled, I cried. And I was on just this chunky ass bike you know, that was probably God, 20 years old. Okay. And, uh, I had bruises on my knees for weeks afterwards from slamming them on the crown of the fork. And it was the most ridiculous thing. And I, I'm sure I, I was just the biggest goober ever. Um, and I hated it, but to have my ass so thoroughly kicked yeah, and to be like a human being's worst fear is of getting tangled up in a mechanical device, hitting trees, and falling over rocks in front of people. (laughs) And so I was like, this is a great sport. It's got everything. And it was just, you know, it was was a good time to do it. It was a good time to get into it. Um, You know, Deer Valley and Canyons had really kind of, in part, I was living in Park City at the time, and it was, you know, the scene was kind of dead, but I knew some passionate people about it. And, you know, we went to Moab and we did like the whole nine yards and, and, you know, yeah. I just started racing and that was that, I guess. So uh, you, you talk about those people, uh, were there any, but it, was it always, I mean, you say you started off just riding and things like that. And there was, who was the person that you could maybe credit for the, the, disease that that came about in terms of saying i just want to go downhill and i want to go down here really fast um so my boyfriend at the time who is now my best friend and uh my you know we talk about platonic life partner um (laughs) but my yeah my best friend brian he we were dating at the time which was a really bad idea but he um we've always had kind of a relationship where he pokes at me until i kind of just i'm like shut fine you know like just shut up like I'll do it. Whatever. Just yeah. shut up. God. And that's how I got into racing. I mean, that's how I got into downhill actually is he was like, just try it. Like just come to your Valley with, you know, me and my friends and it'll be great. And, you know, he'd raced downhill a couple of times and, um, he was really just a big fan of it. You know, he bought, he had like a 2005 or 2006 GT ruckus that he loved. And, you know, it was just one of those things. And as soon as I tried it, it was, you know, I was willing to push up any fire road. I was willing to shuttle. And he was, he's been hugely influential. I mean, he's been the driving force behind my, behind a lot of, of the things that have kind of gone down in the last, you know, 10 years. It's, it's been really interesting, but he, you know, he got me into downhill and kind of pushed me into racing. And, you know, my first year racing, he drove, through the night to get me to races in between, you know, weekends and just, just, you know, just one of those people that really, yeah, yeah. he's, you know, he's my best friend. So it's, you know, I could go on about him all day. Yeah. But I, I don't know if I like him cause he sounds like he's making it bad for the rest of us. But, um, <laughs> when, and, and so when did turning pro become a viable path? I mean, I'm looking at your stats and to go from your first race and then in less than a year, you're all of a sudden considering, and, you, and you're involved in, in a higher rank of, of racing. I mean, that's, something must have worked almost immediately. And what was it? Um, I've always loved the adapter die. 
um, <laughs> the demands of yeah. downhill racing. You know, you, especially in my first couple of years, and I still have it, where you show up to a race venue, you've never been to this race venue, you've yeah. never ridden the track, you've never, you've never been on course, you've never even seen this town. Um, you show up, you roll the course, you're scared shitless, but if you want to race it and you don't want to die, you learn how to ride it and you learn how to ride it fast. I mean, we're talking within 72 hours. You're going from never stepped a foot on this course to competing at an extremely high level. And and you're nuking, like, and, and not just competitively, but yeah. you're trying not to die and you're trying to win. And for me, that was, that was the whole limits pushing thing of my entire, that's kind, it's kind of what I searched for was this, it was, it was demand. It was a structured demand in a high risk environment where you had to rise to the occasion. And if you didn't rise to the occasion, you'd die. Um, so, you know, it was, and that's, you know, my first year pro, my first year racing, that's, I, the suck kind of sucked me in actually. (laughs) I was so terrible that, um, you know, it was just, it was one of those things where it, I progressed so quickly yeah. as as a rider that it was so addictive because it pushed my level from like easily mediocre. Like I'm, I mean, I'm still kind of mediocre, but like way mediocre, like very amateur to to someone who was competing against the local guys on Strava. Like yeah. that was that was the evolution of my first year actually racing, and it and like the people who I met, like I still. I still have friends who, like my my I guess I can call him my mental coach BJ. Um, he and I met at my very first race on the lift chair, and I was, I was hooked. Like he's like just these amazing people that kind of brought me in and just you know pushed me to be. He's he's actually the guy who introduced me to World Cup racing on the lift chair. They were like discussing the Athertons and and kind of you know talking about that, and um, I just fell in love with all of it and you know, to that first year going, going to the races, like seeing everybody getting pushed by so many positive influences and so many negative influences, you know, there were definitely people who were like, you're crazy. Like, don't do this. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're an idiot, but <laughs> you know, and then the fall of my first year I had, I had upgraded to cat one and, Jeez. um, I raced my first cat one race and I beat all of the female pros. Wow. And I beat, I was very, um, I was shocked. You know what? I'd like to ask you this question. I know it's really vague. And um, many of us just kind of get to see you at the races and don't get to experience what it's like as a, as a pro downhiller. And I, well, anyway, um, what is that career like and and what is what does it entail and how often are you traveling and things like that it's there's so much traveling and you're 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 pretty exhausted and you're stressed and you're lonely but the first day is never perfect it's i mean the first couple of days usually for me is just a clusterfuck like i'm just <laughs> i'm a train wreck like all the time um i get into my head really easily and i overthink a lot of shit but I mean, you know, you get there and the first day is just for me, it's just, a, you know, a segment rolling practice. You know, you just kind of, you roll through everything, you get kind of a feel for it. And then, you know, you do maybe top to bottom, you know, one or two. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the next day, Friday usually or Saturday is really the day where you dial it in and, you know, kind of get ready and, and get up to speed. And, you know, by the end of practice on the second day is when you want to be, you know, like up to speed and, and at, at race pace, but you know, you're, you're not really pushing that level. Um, you know, so much it's, it's a really fine balance, you know, you don't want to get hurt and you don't want to push it too far. Um, which I've done so many times, you know, like getting hurt and qualifying or, you know, like ending my race weekend or even my season, you know, like first race out like last year. Um, it's, it's really hard, but it's, you know, it's, it's also, my God, you know, we show up and we're riding bikes. It's also like, there's very, some, there's something really electric about it when you show up and, you know, you're all doing course walk and especially the world cup. Um, there's something that is just so monumental. It feels so big about it. And, you know, you see all the teams and it's really incredible to be there. And those are the days like course walk is usually the day where I'm just like, Holy shit. This is awesome. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Now, how about the sustainability of it? I mean, are there enough races in the calendar? Um, uh, and, and I, you know, I don't expect you to tell me your, your income, but you know, is, is it financially viable to, to maintain a career as a pro downhiller? No, no. Um, (laughs) I mean, is (laughs) if you're in the, if you're in the top 10 in, in the world, yes. Um, for women, if you're in the top three, maybe. Really. But it's it's pretty it's pretty difficult. It's it's almost impossible to do it to maintain. It's not like at this point, I'll be I'll be blunt. It's not sustainable at all. It's it's really it's kind of messed up in that um, you know we have such an action sports economy going yeah. on right now, and you know mountain biking is getting huge. It's growing so fast. And, you know, most athletes aren't, aren't able to make a living, Mm -hmm. but it's also, I think, you know, I don't think we're marketing it correctly. I don't think that we're broadcasting it correctly. I don't think that we're using technology correctly. And that's, you know, that's, that's the hypercritical, like me in, in bitch mode. So I'm not going to get into that, but I think that, you know, there, there are a lot of avenues that athletes take to, you know, make ends meet. Well, I think that, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. And in fact, I've talked to um, cross country racers and and um, even pro roadies who were talking about how the sports uh, evolving and changing. And and I see, especially a lot of people who are involved in mountain biking, who are talking about the fact that the sport has evolved to a different uh, a different genre, a different style. But there's no media outlets who are making that attempt to monetize it, and and that almost. It, it takes away from what you guys are doing. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but uh, it seems like there should be ways to promote it and make it a bigger sport like it was in the 90s. Oh, there are, there are huge ways. I mean, if you if you look at the 90s, we didn't have anything back then. I mean, are you serious? People were people were barely carrying around video cameras. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was that that was such a crazy time that. It now with all the technology, like at Mont Saint Anne this year, for instance, yeah, I was, I was live broadcasting from the side of the course, on my cell phone, like to everybody on the internet, yeah. to anyone who wanted to log in on Periscope, and the fact that we have that between the mix of the mix of federations and the mix of companies and yeah. the mix of of 
a lot of laziness, I think <laughs> that, or a lot of, oh, someone else will take care of that yeah. I think that, um, I think that we've, we've kind of abandoned the marketability of downhill, which if you think about it, it is so fucking marketable. It's, oh, it's more marketable than almost any other aspect of cycling outside of like, you know, it's, it's more condensed outside, you know, other than like track cycling, yeah. BMX and, you know, 4X or dual slalom. It's, it's unbelievably marketable and it kind of kills me and it's super frustrating to see companies and, and especially federations who, mm-hmm. who have, I feel who have an obligation to their athletes and to the sport. If you are going to claim to be the federation of sport, you had better be giving it your all. And, and I think that there are so many federations in so many countries, like even as much as British cycling did mm-hmm. for British cycling, um, they really kind of left downhill athletes out in the cold until downhill athletes went out and made it happen. And I think that British cycling still kind of like they have the fastest athletes in the whole fucking world. Yeah. Like both, both world champions this year are British and, and to, and they've kind of gutted a lot of programs in the UCI, you know, and there's, and there's so many politics at play there. Oh God. Yeah. But you know, and, and so much failed business, you know, like, um, you know, back when Shimano and, and, you know, Rocky roads or whatever the hell that was, um, <laughs> they were broadcasting. It, there's just so much failed business. And I think that the market has changed so rapidly that the only solution at this point is getting young people inside of federations and young people inside of companies who are really looking forward and kind of mar- and, and exploiting the marketability of it, you know, not, yeah. and, and they're really, you know, passionate and in, and and understanding and they understand the market about that but you know i'm in marketing so yeah. to me it's like everything is about marketing well it, but but that but to say getting young people involved in any of these things it's almost like saying we need young people in in the american congress and in government i mean these oh people God, are entrenched these people are entrenched and they're not going to leave you know they've no. the the They've been enjoying the gold rush for too long. And so, and they've been doing, you know, it's that classic, this is because this is how we've always done it. And so, you know, I, I don't know, is there a way to, to revolutionize? But, you know, maybe I'm getting too deep. But, you know, you say you can broadcast from the, the event itself. And God knows we could put point of view cameras on every downhill competitor and get some amazing footage and even stream the shit live. Um, but I, I, I've never understood why none of this is happening. You know, I guess, you know, I hear I'm trying to ask you about your cycling career and we're getting into the, you know, the new world order, but it just, it's frustrating. I agree with you. Yeah. It's very frustrating. And, and, and that's where I'm at is, as far as an athlete. Like I see all of these opportunities, you know, we have athletes who are, who are filming their race runs on GoPros? Yeah. But why aren't that? Why isn't that broadcast? Why isn't that being broadcast? Why isn't there? Why aren't there advertisers logos on the bottom of the broadcast? Why aren't yeah. we selling pieces on? Why? Why aren't we selling? I mean, placards on trees along the course. Why are we there? There's so much money in sponsorship, and there's so much money in. There's so much money in 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 marketing sport that people want to watch and as an athlete and as someone who's in business and who has experienced quite a bit um it's it's daunting to look at the old guard and to say oh my god things are never going to change but i kind of look at it 
the way that I looked at the whole sexist thing. Um, sometimes you got to elbow somebody. Like yeah. sometimes you got to throw some bows and just like knock some teeth out and just fight your way in. Because, and and is that always the most efficient way to do things? No. But is, I think efficiency is, uh, I, I think, I don't know. I think yeah. effectiveness sometimes is what's needed. And I think efficiency is sometimes what's needed. And sometimes those, they're not, they're not at the same point or at the same time or even the same thing were brought by the same people because yeah. that, you know, there's different characters in every industry who are going to bring different things. And I think, um, for me, <laughs> uh, let's just say that I'm like the Rosie O'Donnell of cycling. <laughs> like people, people are going to, people are going to always feel a certain way. They're going to love me. They're going to hate me. They're going to, yeah. you know, there's, I don't know. I, I might be a crazy, angry feminist lesbian, but you know, it's <laughs> that, you know, there's always, there's always the public face that's, there's always an image that pushes something forward. Yeah. And did I get into downhill thinking I was going to do that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Hell no. Like I just wanted to ride my bike. Yeah. That's, and that's you know honestly that's kind of what it what it all comes back to is how many people do we have on bikes? How many yeah. athletes can sustain their careers of riding people and inspiring of, of riding bikes and inspiring people to get on bikes yeah. like. How many, how many people, how, how are we selling mountain biking? How are we selling cycling? Are we, are we selling the love of the sport or are we selling, you know, are we selling sex? Are we selling coolness? Are we selling image? Are we selling social acceptance? Are we selling, you know, and there's all of these different questions that I look at yeah. it, but ultimately at the end of the day, it comes back to us being on two wheels, me being able to do what I do on two wheels and me being able to get more people to want to be on two wheels. Yeah. And I think that, I think that sometimes that gets lost, especially in, in all of the politics and all of the, you know, especially with federations and, yeah. and, you know, they've got so many dis disciplines that are going in so many different directions that it can be, uh, it can be a real challenge to yeah. actually prioritize, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. And, and I, I hate to do this to you because, but, but you, you spoke of it first. And if it's okay, I'd like to talk to you about the sexism issue that you, that you've had to deal with that you were, um, rather if, if either intentionally or inadvertently, um, kind of thrust into that position, if that's okay with you, are you okay talking about it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, you, obviously, you're an extremely outspoken person. You you appear to be, you appear to be never afraid to speak your mind, which is awesome. Um, and and misogyny in the sport is something that you've been kind of thrust as as one of the spokesperson people for. And um, and I don't know. I'd I'd like to ask you about your opinions of uh, this concept in the sport, or is it in general? Um, is it something ingrained in mountain biking and or just in or in cycling as a whole, or even bigger? You you've experienced it firsthand i can't unfortunately speak on it i'm a guy it doesn't it's not something i i've, I've felt with firsthand i've dealt with people I, I know people who i care about who've dealt with issues like that but but you've dealt with it firsthand um where to start yeah uh, sorry to throw that big big huge topic at you but no no it's it's okay you know it's it's a topic that i was actually talking about this with my friend steve on twitter today yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, there's, I follow 
some poker stuff and like just average, you know, cultural stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that a yes, it's a huge issue in lar- in society at large. I mean, look at the rise of Donald Trump. Look at God, like yeah. this. My God, I don't even want to go into that. Yeah. But look at like, look around, like look at, we're still having a conversation that 40, 50 years ago, it's, it's 2000 motherfucking 16. Yeah. And we are still having a conversation that 50 years ago, the Supreme Court settled about women's rights to have choices over their bodies. Like, I don't give a shit where anyone stands politically, but like, God forbid you tell someone what else, what, what they can or cannot do with their bodies because because we've decided that we that we know better and and that's where downhill comes in and that's where sexism comes in and i think that yes it's a huge problem at large the and and yes it's a huge problem in downhill but it's a problem everywhere because it's a problem in society at large it's a problem in the nfl with the domestic mm-hmm. violence it's a problem i mean god it's a po- it's a problem in the nba with you know sexual yeah. assault it's yeah. a problem it's a problem at every major and minor and and microscopic corner of culture, especially in cycling, because like poker, it's I mean pro cycling and like the the global fascination with crazy people who ride with with the pro athleticism, you know, yeah. pro pro culture. Um, it's a huge issue there because. You know, that is fairly new, you know, in the last 50 or 60 years, that's fairly new. And I think that it's all been sold, that sports have traditionally been sold as a men's domain. So you see it in like STEM, you see it in the STEM fields where there's wi- there's less women in engineering, there's less women in science and technology and, and, and all of these things. Because traditionally, women have been portrayed as the primary roles of mother and caregiver. Yeah. And we're not supposed to have interests. Like... We're not supposed to be interesting. Like I have, I have friends who are still living this, who they want a husband, they like shoes and they like shopping and they like all of these traditionally female things. And we have, we have all these gender roles that are so, that are so rigid that we've, that we've pushed people into. I mean, fuck, look at poker. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you watch Western Westworld or whatever it's called on HBO. Yeah. I just started watching it. God, yeah, and actually, I do. The gender roles in it. And this is where I drew the parallels today when we were talking about poker, the poker tour. They were talking, there was an article on Vice or something about how, why aren't they, they talked to pro-female poker player about why there aren't women, more women, more professional women in poker. And I retweeted, I said, the same reason that there aren't more pro-women in downhill or there aren't more pro-women in soccer or, the, you know, there aren't pro, more pro-women anywhere because, you know, you go back to Westworld traditionally in you know western movies and in western culture yeah. you know before women's rights before women were even allowed to legally own property um men played poker yeah and it was rowdy and they usually played poker at a saloon where you know women weren't usually that wasn't an acceptable place for women of anyone who wasn't a hooker yeah you know? yeah um you know what, what were they called? Den, you know, the den of sin, if you want to go all biblical or, you know, <laughs> yeah. pleasure houses or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. But, and, you know, I'm drawing these parallels between that was, that was like 200 years ago, like 1816, 200 years ago, men played poker and it was solely like you couldn't play poker unless you were like a badass chick who had like killed a hundred dudes. Like 
you weren't going to be invited to play poker, right? <laughs> yeah. But this is like this, it's been 200 years. And the way that they advertise poker is the way that they advertise, you know, like podium girls in cycling. Yeah. Women are still objects. The boys, it's a boys club. And it's all of this traditional boys club stuff. It's like anything cool, anything fun, anything rad. Like, I mean, robotics, cars, yeah. computer science. Like, you look at all of this shit that's filled with this sexist crap. And then everybody asks, well, why aren't there more women involved? There are more women involved because you treat it as though it's a boys club, as though it's, 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 and, and, and the funny thing is, is it's always white and it's always male. Yeah. And like, there's no, there's no inclusion. There's no, and that's what makes me crazy is like, I, my gender is a footnote as far as I'm concerned. And, and it always has been like, if I want to teach myself how to ski, I'm gonna teach myself how to ski. If I want to race downhill, I'm gonna race downhill. Like there aren't, and if I'm gonna say the word fuck, I'm gonna say the word fuck. Like, I don't feel like (laughs) there are, I don't feel like there are limits or there should be limits on humanity based on plumbing. And, and I think I've always seen that. Um, you know, I was telling someone the other day that I grew up in a house where it was very like rigidly conservative, very traditional. Um, and I just didn't play by those rules. So <laughs> no, and that's, that's the thing. And, and actually I'd like to ask you being something, somebody who's marketing driven, um, with, with cycling being originally, and let's say, uh, you know, a, predominantly a male dominated sport um, and with companies trying to market to that demographic where did it where does that where do companies finally pull their head out of their ass and realize that they've got to stop saying some of the things they're saying and market across the board um, you know, I guess when we're, we're looking at, you know, I, I, I was going to ask you about something specific as, as women-specific design companies that we see out there. And is that just, is that really a women-specific design product or is it just a fucking bike frame painted pink? So I think it's, I think it's interesting that the bike industry has, one, finally decided to pull its head out of its ass in the last three years. Just recently. Three just years, recently. Just recently. Like we're talking the last 36 months. Okay. And, and I think that it's interesting that it has taken shape rather than in form of genuine inclusion, it has taken shape in the form of retail exploitation mm-hmm. of women. It's companies aren't investing in women's race teams. Companies are not investing in women racers. Companies are not investing in children's programs for girls at risk. Companies are not investing in actual, like most companies. And when I say this, I'm I'm making a general, like a wide generalization of most companies yeah. in cycling as a whole are not investing in research of what drives women to ride, of what technology women want in their gear, of you know, and, and you have all of these companies like Specialized talks about how they've formulated this super scientific like yeah. Yeah. women's frame bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> it's all bullshit. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to exploitation. Rather than actually hunting down genuine inclusiveness, like 
rather than making that like including everybody and not just women fuck white women like we're talking like people of color we're talking minorities we're talking where the fuck is all of the advertising yeah. for the rest of these people and this is something that i get super heated about um chris garrison just actually talked about this on a panel on velovixen.com um great video i just watched it the other night my god she's a genius um <laughs> But there are, there's so much opportunity to get more people on bikes and to spread this radness that we're ignoring because, because there are so many companies who are just wearing blinders. A women-specific frame, Yeah. you don't have to make a women-specific frame. We don't wear skirts. Our vaginas don't change the way we ride. <laughs> and different women across all spectrums of women have different body types yeah. and they need, they have different demands and different companies, just like for men, there are companies with shorter top tubes yeah. and longer rear triangles. There are companies with lower bottom brackets. There are companies with steeper head angles. You don't have to make a women specific frame. A derailleur does not care if you have a penis or a vagina. Yeah. All you gotta do is make a double XS, like an XXS yeah. and a double XL and everything between, and people will buy it. Make it in sizes that are inclusive of every size, whether it's an 11-year-old girl or an 85-year-old man giant. Like, it literally does not matter. And and that's what kills me, I think, the most about, and I get super heated up about this, because it's, it's sold as inclusiveness, and it's sold as this, oh, you're one of us, like, you're part of us, yeah. like, it's sold and it's bullshit. And that's what makes me crazy is because all of the spin, all of the marketing, all of the hype, all of the bullshit and all of the fake science, because it is fake, all of that, if if they did, you know, it's like my dad used to tell me as a kid or my both my parents still tell me to this day. If you spent half as much time, if you spent half the time just doing the damn thing as you do trying to get out of doing the damn thing, <laughs> you'd have been done and out playing outside already. Yeah. <laughs> because I was the queen of getting out of chores. And so they always told me, And but this has this has now translated into someone as an adult. I do it right. If I'm gonna do something, I don't do it half-assed. Or yeah. I try not to. I tend to do a lot of shit half-assed. But there, there's, there are so many companies who are, just do the damn thing. Yeah. Commit. Make a decision that everything in your company get is equal. You have thirty percent. I, I, you know, and you can break it down any way you want. Yeah. But like the way that the population is, the different demographics for every percentage, make that a percentage of your marketing budget for every. You know what I mean? For every, and it's not just about purchasing. It's about you have to invest in the future. You have to look at what's coming and. And that's where I come in is not as a woman, but as someone who says, A, let me do my fucking job. Yeah. And B, let's build this sport into something sustainable. And just and just build a bike. Don't necessarily worry yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. Don't or, or I don't know. Are there Asian no. bikes out there? Are there Puerto Rican bikes out there? That's a great point. Like, are there 
I don't know. Yeah. Are there Swedish bikes? Are there bikes specifically made for people from Sweden? Yeah. And 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 that's that's how I see gender is there is no such thing as race. And when you are on a bike, there is no such thing as gender. There are body shapes, there are riding styles, there are efficiency flat spots. But my boobs <laughs> While they might make me a little top heavy in a crash, they don't, they have, they have nothing to do with, cause, cause here's the thing. You look at the best, you look at the best athletes in the world. Yeah. None of them are rocking women specific anything. No. Like there are no specific, there are no women specific formula one cars. There are no women specific basketballs. There are no women specific golf. I mean, there there are, but there shouldn't be women specific golf clubs and basketballs too. You got the WNBA balls yeah. that are supposed to be larger, or something like that. Like based based on what? Based on did you yeah. did you go and measure every person on the entire planet? Did you go and measure every member of my gender and everybody in between? That's the thing, is by saying this is a female specific bike. Yeah, you have immediately also alienated an entire community of lgbtq people who they might not be female they might not be male yeah and that's okay but like where do they fall in like like you can't say like oh penis and vagina like those are the kind of bikes we make yeah really because that's that's a it alienates every group of people that that don't see themselves because when the female specific bikes first started coming out all of the bullshit oh women have smaller shoulders Women have shorter torsos and longer legs. That's not true. I have little monkey legs and crazy long torsos. Like I have the torso <laughs> of someone who's supposed to be six two. <laughs> and does that make me less of a woman, though? And I talk to women. I talk to professional racers. I talk to coaches. I talk to people all over the industry. And it was my one beef because there were women of so many different shapes and sizes, like so many shapes and sizes. And my best friend is he says he's five four i think he's like five two what well, he's like five three okay don't call five, him three, on it. 115 pounds covered in denim like canadian tuxedo dropped in a lake <laughs> he's still gonna be like 115 a buck 20 yeah he's not like <laughs> he's not a he's not a big guy and he looks around at bikes and everybody wants everybody's telling him oh you got to get on a medium i ride a medium i'm five eight yeah. And 160 on a good day. Like, don't put him on a medium. And, like, my friend Michaela, she's tiny. She doesn't need a 400-pound spring on a downhill bike. She doesn't need a lady-specific bike. But she's tiny, but she rides like a monster. Like, you gotta, you got to make bikes and components for everything in between because people aren't going to ride. Because because it, it if someone's on the wrong size bike... Yeah. It's going, it's going to ruin that experience. Oh, it's over. Yeah, it's over. It's over. Yeah. And so why wouldn't we make bikes that, what if, what if there's a tiny dude who wants a bright purple bike? Does he really have to go buy a fucking Juliana? Yeah. Which, which have lower resale values, despite the fact that a lot of people like the colors. Why do they have lower resale values? And then Santa Cruz, the same bike. Wow. Which I mean, that's that's another you know economic phenomena yeah. in itself. But well, yeah, but those are the, the those are the things that I look at. 
So is is it an issue of, um, for for lack of a better term, I mean, comparing women's cycling to men's cycling? Is it? I mean, I don't know. I I've you know, especially downhill's a specific beast within itself. Um, I I also follow road. I also follow cross country and things like that. And is it fair? I don't know. I don't know if I'm asking the right question to compare the two sports. Should we say no. they're on the no. same playing field? They're not on the same playing field. No. Yeah. Okay. Because so, so physiologically women and men are made differently. Shocking. I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, woo. Yeah. There we go. Like big universal truths happening here. <laughs> um, so the thing is, is there are people who are structured in a way that they have more bone density, they have higher muscle mass, mm -hmm. and they have lower body weight. Some, a lot of these people happen to be men or people who are taking, who have higher <laughs> testosterone or are taking <laughs> higher testosterone. Yeah. There, there are people who, men and women, as it is separately in sport, have different playing styles. I am not saying they're the same, and I'm not saying they're even close to being on the same playing field. What I'm saying they're different, but they're equal. Because men, a lot of men, when you watch men in downhill, they're powerful, they're strong, they go bigger, they go faster. But some of them, a lot of them, lack beautiful technique. Yeah. And and that's where that's where watching sports as an art form has to come into play. That's how that's how we need to advertise it is sure watch for the results watch to watch someone win but anyone who hasn't watched a world cup women's downhill race is missing out because there's this there's so much grace mm -hmm. there like when rachel does her thing and when tawny and manon and i, I mean if you've ever seen video of emily and rigo holy shit it's <laughs> so powerful and she's so tiny, but there's this, there's so much fucking grace that I still get chills watching some of her tapes. And like watching Danny Hart is beautiful, but it's very like, he's very nimble. He's very, he's, he moves around on the bike. Like there's so many different styles. And I think that instead of saying like, oh, men's sport and is greater than women's sport or like, you know, or, you know, the, who was it? <laughs> was it Verbergen that said this, you know, that women's. No. You know, women should wear skirts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, God. Super, super cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for setting us back, Hein. <laughs> yeah. Just suck a dick. Like, I'm just going to say that. Like, oh, my God. People like that, I just, I don't have time for. Like, no. I just don't. Ugh. Occasionally, they show up in my Twitter feed, and I'm, I don't even fight it out anymore. I just click mute. Like, go away. And, yeah. but, and But, like, that's the thing is, like, women women shouldn't be portrayed as sexual objects in sport. Yeah. Their appearance, it shouldn't even fucking matter. It's function. It's about function. It's about ability, not aesthetic. And, but, and, and about, of, of the human being. And when you, when you watch it, when you can truly appreciate sport for sport's sake. Yeah. Like true soccer fans, you know, if you were, football as it's called some yeah. you know other places than america um <laughs> when you sit down and you watch this 
there is so much grace yeah yeah in it, and, and and it spans the spectrum from from women to men to everybody in between it spans this huge spectrum of ability and it is it is so powerful to watch this and to understand the style and to compare it you know if you look at Lindsey Vaughn and Bodie Miller and you're in skiing you know and you're you're looking at all these abilities you're like Rachel Burks yeah. and Julian Carr in you know in big mountain skiing like mm-hmm. you look at all of these different things and true appreciation of sport which is what we should be selling comes when someone understands sport when they've experienced it when they when they look at it and it becomes bigger than gender because there are I know people who watch the WNBA because they like the different way that women play basketball. Like they're they're fans through and through. And that's what that's what we need to create. But that's not going to happen until we highlight the differences between men and women's sports, not men and women athletically and characteristically and in all of these shitty generalizations that yeah. we tend to make. Well, and Un- Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and, and that different but equal part is so key. Like, diff- not separate, but equal. Different I, and yeah. equal. Yeah. I think it's going to be so hard to do, though, because you talk about, um, you talked about the visual element of, of what people look like. Okay. And the first thing that popped into my head is fucking figure skating. I can't stand figure skating, but it is a so such a hugely popular sport because you've got these tiny little cute doll girls who are doing these sports. And, and I don't understand or, or figure skating, gymnastics, things like that, um, that approach that specific thing. And, um, People are going to be chosen based upon how they look. And when you're dealing with a, a male-oriented in- industry, uh, that's that's probably where it's going to fall. So I guess my point is, is I mean, this isn't something that, that can happen overnight. And I'm sure what you're having to deal with has to be insanely frustrating. Um, what is your support like? I mean, do you, are you getting... I can only imagine the shit you're getting, the asshole comments you're getting, the bait you're getting on Twitter. Is it, how's the support going on this? I I'm actually I get way more support than I do assholes at this Thank point. God, um, you know it was it was touch and go there for a long time. Yeah, um, I don't Google my name. I don't. I don't look very loosely. Like I still run my shit. Like it's yeah. Like yeah. I, I don't have anything to lose. Like I'm it's, it's whatever at this point. And there's so much support out there that it has changed the way that I've looked at the bike industry because last summer I was so dis- disillusioned with sport in general because you know, the it is. And you know, like even, even the benign sexism just is so exhausting yeah, but there's also like everybody has their thing, you know. Everybody has like that thing that like rubs them wrong the wrong way. And if I were to walk around cataloging every sexist thing that happened or every negative experience, which I I did for a long time, mm-hmm. um, it builds up inside of you and it oh, creates it's... this anger and like this hatred towards humanity. 
and yeah it's it's i think that there's there's so many good people in my life that right now it's like i look around and the only reason that i'm still sane and <laughs> um not you know wallowing in the depression that comes um from from a lot of different arenas but are the you know those are the people like the people who call you and make sure you're all right and the people who send you messages on instagram saying you don't know me we've never met yeah but i just you know i just heard this interview or i just read that article and i i just kind of found out about this and keep going like i've got your back you don't know me but wow i got your back and you're like people that i've never met just sent you know and people people who i have met who have always kind of been in the periphery of things you know and they'll they'll walk up at a race or at a show and just kind of nudge me and be like hey <laughs> what you're doing it matters like wow. keep it up Thank and God. i I cry like I always well up yeah. like I, I immediately cry because there is it's so easy to look at everything and just be like everything is terrible yeah. and it needs to change and why am I the only one talking about it but that's not true that's just a perspective and it's so easy to do that instead of looking around and being like there are reasons that people can't speak out. There are reasons people, there are people with families who are afraid of losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. They, they have mortgages and they have families and they, and it's not black and white. It's all shades of gray. Yeah. And, and you can't, you know, it's really interesting to kind of look at, to look at it and and to see the sexism and to see the to see the people who I I have phrased in the past as sitting down, um, they're not always sitting down, yeah. and it's super ignorant to presume for me have to have presumed that they're that they were sitting down because there are a lot of people doing a lot of really important shit. Like we're talking like equity and, mm -hmm. and genuine inclusion rather than exploitation. And, oh. and they are putting in work, but they don't speak out. And, you know, and, and like yeah. I said, you know, everybody has different roles yeah. and I'm, I think I, I'm learning that. And, oh. and, you know, long story short, the support is amazing. And Good. even, even the support I don't see. Good. Is because no, really good. Um, especially the, the, the climate of, of, of our environment right now. And I was, I was hoping that was the case. You said you, you don't Google your name. Um, Amanda, I Googled your name and, um, oh God. well, no, I had, this is, this is what I do. And I, and I found a lot of interesting things about you. And, and one of the things, and because I want to turn this around of, of that I found out about you that was, that, that kind of rose above the rest was this creation of this concept of proving possible and and what and what you're doing and how you're trying to create something positive within this um, can you tell me what it's about and and how it came about um so it it 
so proving possible is about is a is a concept that I came up with um, with a really good friend of mine, Jen Hudak. She's a pro skier, mm-hmm. like multi world champion, um, just a kick ass babe. And she and I sat down for coffee one day, and we were just we were just kind of stalling, and we we're talking about how female athletes don't really they're not given a benchmark of of excellence. They're they're given a lot of female athletes are, you know, male athletes. They're very clear on where they need to be in order yeah. to be the best. Where female athletes are like, oh, you know, you know, she's got, you know, thirty thousand Instagram followers, or, <laughs> you know, it's it was it was very it was very very nebulous, and and so it was it was actually going to be a big huge campaign, and um, I kind of got sidetracked with other other stuff that I was doing. But I wanted to I wanted to create this system where women proved what was possible for them. Yeah. Because everybody's impossible is different. Everybody has a different goal of something that's really challenging to them. And I wanted I wanted women to to prove their own possible. And the first step was in that was getting women to sign up for downhill races. It was kind of a dare. Yeah. Um and I said I'll pay your first race entry fee. Um, and there were, you know, if, if you want to race a downhill race, send me your information, send me the information of, of the race that you're doing and, you know, I'll pay the fee. Um, and there were so many responses from oh, all shit. over the world. Really? That, that like there were, we turned away people after <laughs> just a short time. Like, <laughs> I was swamped for emails. Like I couldn't keep up with the emails, and I felt, you know, I um, I still kind of feel I feel bad because I feel like it wasn't something that I was able to give my full attention and energy to. And um, you know, we did clinics at I did clinics at Sea Otter and at you know the Northwest Cup and yeah, um, sun you know multiple races, and it's something that I'd really like to prioritize for 2017 is getting women out again and supporting women who want to try downhill and who just try it because and I'm still passionate about it is because I felt like if there's so much to find in mountain biking inside of yourself yeah because you don't you change when you start mountain biking you change when you start cycling because you can't change the elements you can't change the road or the trail you can't you can't change the mountain you can't change the course you can't change the race course you change and that's and every challenge that comes before change was so powerful to me that i wanted i wanted women to experience that and feel that rush like feel that that huge that euphoria of of changing themselves and and that's what that's what proving possible was, and it it petered out last year because mostly because I suck. Um, but <laughs> you know, like I I got super busy, and it was um, it was really challenging to. I was really injured, and it was just challenging to keep it up. And then you know the pink bike thing went down, and yeah. um, you know just it was so. There's a lot of stuff that happened last year. What. Um, what it? What if? I mean, first of all, why isn't somebody fucking uh, paying you to sell their bikes? 
Um, first of all, in the design. Second of all, in this marketing. I mean, my God, if you sell a downhill bike to somebody and you tell them, we want you to get out there and race, and we, we'll even help you get out there and race, and we'll make it a part. We'll make a point to to help you out with entry fee for your first races and things like that. Holy shit, why isn't this kind of stuff happening out there? And I'm not just talking about for women. I'm talking across the board, especially because one of my big caveats is talking about junior racing and getting kids yes. on bikes, and um, why isn't this happening? And I've said, on, on no my my listeners know what I'm saying, and I'm not just making this up for you. I have said that cycling is way too many middle-aged white men in it, and um, and it's so frustrating to hear your frustrations and and to understand. And I, you know, I talked to a guy like Gary Fisher on this show, and and Gary's talking about his frustrations in trying to get kids on bikes, and and I don't know if you know what what they're doing in terms of women but it's 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 all the same it's all about trying to get people out on there and it it, god it just fuck (laughs) it's you know at the end of the day it's all about asses and seats yeah and whether that's whether that's one or 20 and and it's so i was super obsessed with volume for a long time i was so worried about getting so many people in um that it kind of a, it swamped me. I I was exhausted, and B, it's it's just not possible. And so it comes down to genuine interactions with people about bikes, and inspiring them to get on bikes. And I think that whether it's teenage girls who are particularly at risk, oh, yeah. or kids, or or moms, or the elderly, like there are so many, there are so many groups that could be so, that could be so. So fortunate to have on bikes, like, and that's, I think that's what makes, that's what it is. And, you know, looking, looking at it from Gary Fisher's standpoint, like we have a rising national obesity, obesity crisis. Yeah. And, but that's why, that's why I love programs like Little Bella's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, they are getting girls on mountain bikes. Like to me, that is, that's, that is just fucking heroic. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. It's so much like, it, it's such a challenge and just keeping getting them on bikes and keeping them inspired because there's so many things in life that a bicycle can get you through and it's freedom it's so important it's so important for kids and for adults and especially teens that my god i wish like I'm I'm literally just shaking my hands over here because it's so important. <laughs> well, it's, it's so it's, important. It's freedom. It's independence. It's self confidence. It's it's all those types of things that you discovered and I discovered at, at a younger age. And um, you want to share that with people, but when you've got a bike that costs ten thousand dollars or or even two thousand dollars, and you've got somebody who can't afford it, or because it's not pink, or because they just sell them because it because it's pink, it's it's yeah, okay. Yeah, who do we blame? I don't know. I I hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope there is too. I don't. Yeah. <sighs> I think I think that's my problem. Is that I'm an eternal optimist. Is that yeah. I wake up every day and on the days where I'm like, oh, fuck it. The world's going to shit. I'm yeah. done. I'm climbing back into bed. Those are the days where I'm not my best me. I'm like the worst version of myself. Yeah. And I think that for my own sanity, I have to look at at the end of the tunnel. I have to believe that there is 
somewhere, somewhere down the road. Yeah. I don't give a shit if anyone remembers my name. I don't care. But for the love of God, somewhere, someone at some point down the road is going to be positively affected by something I've done. And that's my hope. Like, that's my one fucking hope is that at if anything that my life isn't pointless that if if i can if somehow my existence is a net positive yeah then it's worth something and that's for me i found that through bikes i found that through sharing bikes from from racing bikes and and that's that's why I'm still going after this whole crazy World Cup shit is that if I can do it, if I can race at that level, if I can if yeah. I can get to where I've gotten, anyone can. And I think that I think that there are some days where you just have to we have to wake up and kind of be our own heroes sometimes and yeah. look around and just be like today there aren't a lot of positive things going on but <laughs> today you got to get your ass out of bed so that you can like come on like be your hero like get yourself out of bed get dressed get on the bike and yeah like that's and that's go. sometimes yeah that's the only that's the only way to deal with shit yeah. sometimes and go. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, you know, uh, being that I'm, I'm going to say this right now for people who are listening to this months down the road, um, we recorded this a week before the presidential election. And this is probably a giant fucking metaphor of the entire state of the world right now. This entire show, we could talk about cycling as a metaphor for the rest of the fucking world. Um but, but, you know, but I, I've held you for a long time. And before I even begin to go out, I need to ask a couple more lighthearted questions to okay. bring us out. Go ahead. Um, yes. So lighthearted. <laughs> okay, okay. You are, I'm, I'm going to assume that it is definitely Utah based. Um, but, yes. But your favorite places to ride and ski. Oh, my God. You, you, um, no, I'm putting you on the spot. This is a serious okay. fucking question. So riding and skiing. Yeah. Um, Anywhere that's technical Any, okay. and fast and big. Like I like I like big. I like fast and I like technical. If it's if there's a good chance that I'm gonna catch an edge or flip over my bars, I'm <laughs> probably in. Um first places that comes to mind, um skiing, snowbird or alta here in Utah. Okay. And riding is Whistler of course, but Angel Fire, New Mexico. It is it's big, I know Angel it's, Fire, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Fast. yeah. And it is so terrifying. It's so technical. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. What do you What do you do when you're not uh, tweeting or 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 writing or trying to make this all fucking work? Um, What's fun? What's fun outside of writing and and being Amanda? I'm very. I know people are probably gonna shit their pants over this. I'm very domestic. I like. Um, <laughs> I like I like books a lot, so I love okay. wine, and I'll pour red wine. I only drink red red wine. Um, it's super good for my ulcer. I, okay. So I'll pour like a huge glass of wine, and I'll sit down, and I will sit down for hours and read a book if I'm able. I'll go cover to cover if I can. Really. Um, and I like baking cookies. 
I love baking, actually. Um, I was a pastry well, chef. Well, yeah, there were cupcakes life. for a while there in your life. I, re- yeah. I remember reading. So, yeah. Lots of fucking cupcakes. Um, <laughs> and I like gardening. I mean, I love gardening. I love plants and, and you know, adopting cats. That's that's okay. the other thing I do. So you're taking one of those. straight cats. In one of those. How many? How many cats? I I, I don't want to ask. Should I ask? <laughs> okay. Are there? Are, okay. Is there empty garbage bags all over your house? Is, should, is this fucking really bad here? <laughs> no. So I have two cats, and my roommate has okay. two cats. Okay. So we have four cats in our household. <laughs> all but, right. But they're all rescues, and they're okay. amazing, and they're just they're little clowns. They're little furry clowns. Okay. That's not too many. That's you're okay. Okay. <laughs> they haven't hit crazy cat lady fest. You haven't hit crazy cat lady fest. Yeah, exactly. Just so, just so no. long as the windows aren't all closed up and it's just some freaky fucking thing where you're walking around in a, you know, a w- robe of some sort and with yellowed newspapers. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Cans exactly. of tuna. Empty cans of tuna. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know man. what? Don't don't count me out. That's yeah, my end. Hey, goal. we all have goals. We all have goals that's, in life. That's yeah, my goal. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh man, this has been actually a really cool talk. I'm glad I I you know we tried we there were a couple opportunities to try to make this happen and I probably dropped the ball. Um, but I, I'm really glad that I got to finally catch up with you and talk to you. And um, you know, I, I, this is going to sound completely like a kiss ass, but um, I. I I applaud what you're doing. Um, I, I, you know, me being a guy, it's, it's a a white male. It's, it's, I, I wish I understood some of the situations I try. Empathy is something I try to live my life by, but, um, I applaud what you're doing and I applaud what you're going for. And, um, you know, yeah, I guess if there's anything you need from me, (laughs) count me on board. Pat, thank you so much for having me. I, I really, I've enjoyed this a lot. This has been, this has been fantastic. Even, even when I get all, uh, uh, super, super sad and dark. Um, but no, this is, this has been super fun and thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank <laughs> this you. has been awesome. There you go. You guys, Amanda Batty. She's tough. She's controversial. And I think that's what I like about her. There you have it. I've got a smile on my face. There you have it. I'm sorry if you don't agree with what's going on in the country right now, you guys. I'm sorry if you don't think it's a big deal. And I'm really, truly sorry if you're not white, male, and I guess I'm going to get in trouble for saying this one. I'm sorry if you're not kind of stupid. If you're concerned about what's going on, don't forget to f- how you feel right now. Don't forget that. Remember this, okay? We live in a culture where things just get lost. We forget about things so quickly. We're in a fast food cl- uh, culture where we just we digest it and then it's gone. We can't forget. If you're concerned, please don't forget. If you're scared, I wish I had an answer. I'm scared too. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm getting all high and mighty on this, but hug your friends and family tight. Take care of each other. Use your words, not your fists. Does that make sense? And please, for the love of God, differentiate opinion from facts. Or in fall else fails, I guess I'll tie it and bring it all around. Go ride your bike. It's a great escape, at least for a little while. And stop putting fucking pinwheels on cyclocross courses. That's all I ask. 
I think that should be a political standpoint. No more fucking pinwheels on cyclocross courses. They're stupid. You think they're cool, but they're not. Go ride your bike. Thanks, you guys. We'll talk to you next time.